You're listening to The Nosebag, a podcast about all things Nor'Wester, past, present, and future. In each episode, we snack on some history tidbits, share laughs with a guest, and see what other food for thought the Packout Crate has for us. I'm Andy Burhow. And I'm Allie Burhow. Let's dig in. So, what are we talking about today? Well, in today's Nosebag... Let me just open it up here. What are you doing? I'm opening a nose bag. But it's in a brown paper bag. Well, when I worked at camp, nose bags for the a lot of the staff were in individual brown paper bags. So I thought I'd bring in a nose bag. Mm. Are you telling me that they don't do that anymore? Well, my memory is a camper. All of the sandwiches were made by the campers, and they were all put back into the bread bag in a disastrous stack of two differently sticky substances with bread in betwixt. That's called a sandwich. Yeah, but it was like one mega sandwich. <laughs> I I do recall both as a unit leader. I think we did do. You know, you'd assign a couple of kids and one of the staff would stay and you'd make all the nose bags. And then it's some usually of, the jumpers that of that day that made the nose bags. And it just I just have memories of peanut butter covered tables. But it's de- really messy. The department staff, a couple of them would also be like a department would be assigned like the craft staff mm. would be assigned to make all the department staff nose bags. And you'd grab your individually wrapped paper bag with your sandwiches. I would often want to volunteer for that because it's not that the ingredients were bad, but sometimes the manufacturing process of the sandwich was... They didn't put as much care into it as you'd like your sandwich to have? No, a a tuna fish sandwich that's two pieces of bread with just a ball of tuna that hasn't even been spread out did not make a satisfying sandwich when you... No. you You hike out to wherever you're going, you're hungry. Yeah. And, you know, I also think visually, nose bag, you know, you're looking in, seeing what's going on. So I, I when I hear the word nose bag, I immediately think brown paper bag. Well, nose bags are actually the sack that is like a feed sack for a horse that can be like strapped to their head. I don't think anyone really knows That's what I thought. I think maybe that is sort of an idea where you're kind of looking into the bag. And and your nose is in the bag? Yeah, smelling what's going on there. Smelling the orange and the the sandwich and the candy bar or sweet, whatever it happens to be. I failed to mention what's actually in this nose bag, though, haven't I? (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually in the bottom of the bag here is our topic, which is outdoor living and nature and that idea of how living out in space can it's such an important part to um, a camp experience Mm -hmm. and I know I think from this age of 14 on until I was I don't know 28 or 29 somewhere in there I spent every single summer outside living outside you know, when I worked at the, with the Boy Scouts, we lived in a wall tent, kind of like what the younger units live in. 
and then coming to Norwester and living in a teepee. But you know, you spent you were spent very little time under a roof and really living in and around and with nature. Yeah. Um I started going to camp when I was eleven. Twelve? Eleven. I was eleven. And um yeah, it's just you kind of become accustomed to living outside and being in nature, which is was was really important, I think, in my upbringing. It's really shaped how I feel about nature and the outdoors as an adult, for sure. And and some of those ideas, I think, weren't really, like I didn't realize the philosophies behind being outside and all of that stuff as a kid. But as an adult, you come to appreciate the respect and the kind of knowledge that places like camp or, you know, maybe the Boy Scouts um, instill in you just by being outside. I, I think that's so true because, you know, we're sort of ex- going through life and experiencing and we don't really have, we're not processing necessarily at the same time, especially when we're younger. And then you look back and go, oh, yeah, I, I feel this way or I think this way because of these formative experiences that I've had um, there. And that feeling, I would say, when I, you get into the winter and it's like, oh, starting to think about the summer and it's I need to get outside I need to be out that that kind of and I know that's not for everyone to want to be sleeping on the ground or just being out in the rain or you know but that idea of especially at Norwester where almost every everywhere you are is pretty open there's very few small Mm -hmm. you know so if it's cold you're wrapping up you know, both for sleeping, for for eating, everything, and and you just adjust with the weather. And when it's hot and really hot, you're being, you know that constantly kind of adjusting and being very attuned to what's going on in the sounds of you know the things you're hearing at, uh, on Johns. I think of like the seals at night slapping. Slap. Yes, and and the crows. I lived in the Islander unit on Sperry, and, and boy, that was loud. Oh, but. the Vagabond unit on John's. I've lived there thrice, once as a camper, twice as staff, and oh my God, the birds are just, between 4 and 6 a.m., they just start screaming. All right, so it's not always good, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's but nature. But you know you're there, and I mean, the... Uh, I've woken up also in the vagabond unit because it's kind of shrouded by trees and, you know, so a lot of wildlife in there. Um, many mornings I've woken up facing the teepee wall and you open your eyes and you just see this deer mouth reaching underneath the the edge of the teepee like nom, 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 nom. You're like, oh, hello. Good morning, dear. You know, I know throughout the years as we, we process about, you know, what's special about camp and when we were thinking about new property and, oh, it's the music, it's the people, it's the philosophy. And, and I do think, too, though, a big part is, is that just 
being out in nature. Uh, had an interview with Marty Holm, and she was talking about being in college and just making up her mind that she was not going to spend another summer in the city, you know, to, to get out and be out. Um, I actually have an, an audio clip from an interview I did with Carla Holm uh, a number of years back, and I, and I want to share that because Carla is such a descriptive person, but she's, she's talking about a piece of property, this Sperry property that, you know, we haven't been on for many, many years. And, and I've never been there. Just describing the place and how when you spend time in and around an area, how that can kind of influence you and, and be such an important part of who you are. So we'll, let's take a listen to that right now. When I think back on on Camper and Counselor Days of Sperry, what really stands out is the property, the peninsula. That was such a diverse place. But the thing I think about most were the are the plateaus. That was such a special thing. If I could, I was thinking as I was walking to the big house here, if I could go to one place on Sperry Peninsula, it wouldn't be Poker Chip Bay or um, All Hid or any of those, what, those great beaches. It would be. I think they called it Deer Prow, that little plateau just behind what the, was called, I think Hidden Hidden Corral, it was like a kind of a swamp between the lake road and the Sea Parrot Bluff. And that was a small little plateau. I like to take my campers there, when, you know, weavers and mariners, or weavers, let's say, on uh, nosebags. Great little secluded place. But otherwise, Madrona Plateau, I was thinking that I could probably walk around the place by smell. Because at different places, you know, if you were near those, those, um, muddy, I don't know what that special kind of mud is that's kind of decomposing black in the salt flats and or by the trees with a pitch falling down. And the trail from the lodge to the girls' units, uh, even as a, you know, when before I was a camper, when I was a young child there, I loved that trail. There was a big, big fir tree like this with one side like shorn off, I don't know how, maybe rubbed by a tree or maybe a logging incident or something, but leaving a big open gash like this which uh, ran with sap all the time and to me that was the witch tree I knew there was a witch in that tree and of course I had kind of an affinity or uh, uh, in French they say atom crochu you know an affinity like our atoms were linked <laughs> and uh, whenever I would go by that tree I just knew that my that, that witch that was my friend that was my was was in there And of course, that was the place where the ground was hollow sounding. You could stomp as you walked by there for quite a ways, you know, a yard or two. And um, we thought there was buried treasure there. I don't know what it was, maybe just the way the rocks and the roots resonated or held the ground. You know, I think something that's so interesting about what she said is being able to find her way by smell. And I was just sitting here thinking, about 
Like, there are areas on John's, for me, because I've never been to Sperry. So, for me, camp in, has only existed on John's for me. Um, and so, there are, I can, I can think of different smells from around the island, which, you know, you don't really think about too much. But then when someone says that they could find their way by smell, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I can smell the, the sea spray or I can smell the freshly rained on cedar or the lodge in the morning or th- any number of things that have such a specific smell or feel that it, it just becomes ingrained in you. I went for quite a few years never bringing a flashlight to camp because I got to where I knew the trails so well and my my night vision got so good that I could pretty much, except for on the darkest of nights, you know, and then I'd kind of have to look up into the trees to kind of see where the openings of it is on a wide enough road, but just that sense of just really knowing that space. And I know whenever I get a chance now to, when I'm on John's, it's like that smell just breathing in the salt air and the, and the breeze. It cures everything. The grasses, there's just something about that. Even when you have your comfort of your your teepee, even when you're living in your teepee, you're still, you know, it's rocks or dirt or bark or grass, grass, depending on where your unit is. Um, I have put clothes on months after returning from camp and found grass in them from like the dry August grass. Well, certainly there have been many parents who have uh, been a little surprised at what nature came home in the trunks. (laughs) Of campers. Our trunks weren't allowed in the house. When when my brother and I would come home from camp, we were first session campers, and we'd usually dad would bring us home, and trunks went, you know, not even in the house. They went through the side gate to the back deck, and that, that's where they aired out for a, a little bit before <laughs> they were allowed to come inside. Yes, yeah, so whatever whatever hitchhikers came along. We're allowed, given an exit. <laughs> an opportunity to be free. <laughs> so, Allie, who is our guest today? So, our guest is Martha Campbell, who uh, has worked at camp for a couple of the recent summers. Um, she is really awesome and really knowledgeable about um, outdoor education and um, living outside. So I am really looking forward to what she has to say. Excellent. Let's give her a call. Hi, Martha. Welcome to the show. Hi. We're so happy to have you. Um, Thanks for agreeing to chat with us for a little bit about living outside and nature. I'm always really happy to chat about that. One of my favorite things. Um, So we always kind of start off these conversations by um, asking, you know, how did you find camp and kind of your little brief history of how you, how you came to Camp Mm Norwester? I found camp 
through my dear friend Janet Landsberg, who was the program director for several years and the gardener for several years before that. Um, we went to middle school together in Bend, Oregon, and Karen Holm was our art teacher and our humanities teacher. And so Janet came to camp through Karen, and I came to camp through Janet. That's kind of the chain of chain of events that brought me to Norwester. So how many years did you end up working, and, and what jobs did you do? I worked at camp for three summers. My first summer, I was a unit leader for the Troubadours, and then I was the naturalist for two summers after that, and then was able to come back for a fourth summer and just lead a big trip, which was really delightful. So three summers and a week of working at Norwester. The so, week is really important. The week was very important. So, so what led you to um, be drawn towards the naturalist uh, position? Um, I started working at camp after my junior year of college, and I was studying environmental science and environmental education and feeling really excited about environmental education, but looking at the job description, felt a little intimidated by the naturalist position and felt like I would have to know a lot about the natural history of the San Juan Islands and be able to, like, spot all these facts about plants and sea creatures and everything and felt way more comfortable as a unit leader, so applied to that position and really had a great time with that, but also got to see what the naturalist position actually entailed and left that summer feeling like I could totally be the naturalist. Um, and so applied to that the next summer and just ha like loved that position so much because um, what I really like about outdoor education and environmental education is the ability to just follow curiosity and explore and a lot of environmental ed jobs that I've worked have the parameter of having to meet a standard and having to um, justify the education for the public school system and at Norwester it was just kind of free reign to do whatever is interesting whatever kids were curious about um, whatever I was curious about so that is what drew me and kept me in the naturalist position. As the naturalist, um, what are your goals kind of for campers in terms of how they interact with the land, but also not, you know, making it feel like school? <laughs> yeah, not making it feel like school is a big one that I definitely sometimes struggle with because school is what I do the rest of the year or did the rest <laughs> of the year, kind of. Who knows what I do anymore? Um, but I guess like large scale goals are to have a community of youth of kids and teenagers that um, are have a deep sense of respect and care for the land, but that doesn't come from nothing. Um, Mary Oliver, one of my favorite Mary Oliver sayings is that attention is the beginning of devotion. And so a lot of what I think about in my educational philosophy and that you know, translates into camp as well is in what ways can I facilitate kids paying closer attention to the things happening around them in nature and that often looks like just being really silly in the outdoors and like finding different ways to interact with the 
other living beings around us. One of my very favorite camp activities was blind date with a tree and you are blindfolded and somebody matches you up with a tree and you have to get to know it really well. And a lot of kids were licking trees and smelling trees and hugging trees and just like having a little bit of separation between the academic and the personal ways of knowing the things around you. And then once you like have that kind of personal fun or reflective or whatever connection it is with the land and with the natural world, I think that real care and respect grows from that. Prior to um, coming to Norwester, had you worked at camps or, or spent a lot of time outdoors already? Yeah, I definitely grew up going outside all the time. had parents who, um, like probably a lot of folks at Norwester, um, took us hiking and splashing around in lakes and let us kind of run wild in in the forest. Um, and then worked at day camps for a long time before Norwester and um, studied yeah, environmental education in college, so had had some experience teaching kids outside through that. Um, but Norwester was my first summer camp experience, real summer camp experience. We were talking kind of at the top of the podcast about, you know, that idea of just when you come to camp, any camp, you know, you're pretty much living outside for a extended period of time. And yeah. how that sort of interacting with your environment is, is much closer maybe than a lot of people might normally experience. I guess how, how important is that in kind of understanding some of the concepts maybe that you're teaching in, you know, when you, when you have a unit come and, and do nature for an hour or an hour and a half or however long, you know, you've got the kids, mm -hmm. but then the fact that they're also kind of living in and amongst this environment in a more yeah. intimate way, I guess that there's a, con that they might be able to see those connections or just, you know, I know we're much more aware of the weather and we're much more aware of the smells and the, the spaces and noticing, Oh, that, Oh, that's a hemlock or that's a cedar or, you know, more so than sometimes yeah. when it's in the classroom in a, in a more, in a different environment. And then we have to go on a field trip maybe to look at those things specifically. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about that while I was looking at these questions because that is one of my favorite parts about camp is how ingrained in the rhythms of the natural world our day-to-day -day routines are, just like walking from your unit to the lodge and the smell of either high tide or low tide and the way the weather really dictates like what you're able to do and just how, yeah how much what our everyday activities look like based on what is happening in the world around us is so much more um like you can't untie them in the way you can in the rest of your life you can't really escape the rain you you know can't get more water if you want to take a longer shower because we're in this really closed environment and so I guess like having the one or one and a half hour nature activity sessions is just like an extra focus 
little chunk of time within this month that is secretly wonderful, delightful, pay attention to nature camp, but through art and through gardening and through singing songs, but surrounded by nature. Yeah, and I think there's like a comfort level that that is acquired. Like I think a lot of, especially new campers or staff come and they're kind of uncomfortable at first living outside. Mm. And then um, as you start to kind of go through these activities or go, you know, just exist in the space, you kind of become comfortable with the land and with the weather patterns and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that is also something that is gained through living outside. Yes, when you wake up, when you wake up from an overnight and there's a banana slug like right (laughs) on your sleeping bag and staring you down. Yep. You know you're one with nature. Oh yes. Yeah. It's so good to have the experience of being uncomfortable and being a little bit damp and like not really being able to do anything about it and just to have the experience of not being in full control of what's going on around you and to be okay with it and to be happy through it. Yeah, I mean, everybody talks about, you know, oh, haha, at camp we don't shower. But that's part, that's part of the discomfort is like existing in your own self, I guess, and, and yeah. not necessarily being able to f- feel perfect all the time. <laughs> yeah. And just letting that's things huge. happen to you. Like, yeah, I was sweaty a couple hours ago and I'm still sweaty. <laughs> like, that's it's still the way with it me. Is. <laughs> yep. And hopefully that yeah translates into the rest of life just being able to be the way you are and carry on so nature and the connection to land which we've been talking about is like a really huge part of the camp philosophy um what are your kind of thoughts on um the inclusion of the campers and and youth in that philosophy and kind of helping ingrain that? I think some of the things we've talked about, like how much the rhythms of the natural world are part of the entire camp experience kind of inherently ingrains that in campers, I hope. Um, I guess some of the more like complicated conversation is where we as camp, as people who live on John's Island for such a small percentage of the year and then as a whole as the camp community has occupied John's Island for such a small percentage of the time that it has been occupied by people whether that's European settlers or whether that's the many different indigenous groups who have lived in the San Juan since time immemorial those are the parts of the that for me are encompassed in the philosophy of stewardship and care for nature that camp has. I don't know if it's more complicated, but it's just a little bit more intentional to include youth in that conversation and in understanding that that is part of the way that we exist in this place and we can exist in the place we are because of this complex natural history that 
created islands and complex cultural history that led to our being able to own that property. And I think, I guess, like what I see more and more meeting and just looking at what people post in the alumni Facebook group at Norwester is that the, those parts of the mission do really get ingrained. There's so many people who have gone to camp years and years ago or have this like intergenerational relationship with camp that I think um, has respect and respect for others and self-confidence and it's all combined. Um, and I think a lot of it happens kind of inherently, but I think there's space for um, a little bit more intentional uh, discussion and conversation having around those topics, especially because kids growing up now are growing up with the reality of climate change and the reality of um, these natural places we love probably changing really rapidly in front of our eyes. And so we have a responsibility to prepare kids for that because John's Island is going to be one of those places that changes. That's another thing I think maybe connected to that question. Yeah, no, it totally is. Anytime people come to the San Juans, they're obviously struck by its beauty and, and it's, you know, seems very unique. What do you think as a naturalist, um, John's in particular, the San Juans, but maybe John's in particular really offers that um, maybe someone who hasn't been there doesn't appreciate or, or when a camper comes and hasn't been there, that what do you think is something that's really cool about that particular piece of property? <laughs> the more I explored John through the summers that I worked there and being the naturalist was like a really good excuse to kind of go everywhere, the more incredible like tiny micro ecosystems you find there's the swamp and there's this piece of forest that's really rich in clay soil which I learned from Eleanor Stelter you can tell because a lot of the trees have fallen over because their roots can't root really well and there's these the meadows that we know from in front of the lodge and then the madrone forest and the tide pools just in like a really tiny piece of land, there are so many different kinds of ecosystems. And that is, of course, what exists like across all of the landscapes we occupy as human people. But being able to see them all in this like kind of confined, um, easier to understand and observe piece of land, I think is so special. And a really delightful thing to explore. Oh, over the, I worked at camp obviously for for many summers, and one thing I always noticed that with every new naturalist, they each brought a different kind of set of skills or something, and and there'd be kind of a point. And we had one my first summer, I think we had a guy who was definitely an oceanography, and so you know he really was into the tide pooling and doing that, and a different naturalist was really into orienteering, and you know they're, they're just a lot of different skills kind of depending on what their background, what was something that you feel you, you brought that maybe hadn't at least, you know, have, you know, been done with, with a naturalist before, maybe an activity or, or, a an approach. Hmm. I 
am totally a generalist in terms of naturalist knowledge. I get really excited about one thing for a little bit of time and then move on to something else, which is why I didn't ever choose to study oceanography or botany or marine biology um, and just kind of bounced all over the place. Um, and so I think I brought some of that to the naturalist role of just wanting and feeling excited about a different thing in every different day. Um, but I, I think something that I really love about what nature can be at camp is just finding time to be a little silly outside or, or to let the space of nature of the activity of nature or of um, the space that like I can bring to fill whatever need the campers have emotionally um, because it can be so many things. It can be running around and getting all of your energy out and it can be lying with your feet up a tree and paying attention to your breath. Um, and I would have loved to see you know, so many of the other naturalists before me um, do a, the wonderful things that they did. So I, I am sure that other people brought that as well. But that is something that I think I really loved about that position, being able to fill that role. And I hope that I brought to that community while I was the naturalist. Call that well-rounded. <laughs> So you mentioned one of the, your favorite activities. you have another one that you really thought was just fun to do uh, with campers, uh, an activity? Tide pooling is one of my all-time favorites. And also ponding. They're kind of like freshwater, saltwater versions of the same thing, of just being able to get a little dirty and both with some of the tide pools on John's and with the pond marsh on John's there's so much in those places that you wouldn't guess um if you were just looking at that you know especially the marsh like kind of icky not icky it's beautiful and incredible but um pretty stagnant like warmish pool of water and you get in there with some nets and some boots and there's just like an incredible quantity of macroinvertebrates and creatures to find we had one one time when I did that with a group of I think rangers we found a toe biter beetle a giant water bug it was like two inches long and had these huge pincers and it was something that I had never ever seen before and was frankly a little bit terrifying to think that we had all been like washing around in our sandals with these huge insects in the pond um, but also just so delightful and inspired a lot of curiosity in me and I think in in those kids also I, I don't know if this is gonna be relevant one of my favorite naturalist stories is kind of a rainy day and there was a group of kids playing predator prey I don't know if did you ever play that game with with campers I have witnessed it I don't think I ever facilitated it oh, so, so they're playing it's it's kind of a rainy day and they're playing predator prey and there's you know the two kids in the circle one the predator one the prey and I'm just doing my job, and I was kind of walking by, and 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 the predator is wearing, you know, rain gear, and you hear this, shwee, and the person who's the prey kind of scampers away, and I hear the naturalist <laughs> go, and that's why you don't see cougars wearing nylon. <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> Nature facts right there. So kind of coming back to more introspective question. <laughs> um, why, why do you think teaching campers about the land and space we occupy is so important? I think for a lot of similar reasons um, as to why I think it's important to involve kids in the conversations and in, in that aspect of our mission about um, preserving and caring for the land. Um, I've been reading this book called Braiding Sweetgrass by Wal- Robin Wall Kimmerer, and it's about indigenous. Oh my goodness. I love it. It's changing my life. Um, Me too. And the most recent chapter I read was kind of about how becoming indigenous to place, um, which is a really comforting idea for me that it's possible to become indigenous and of course not in the same way as um people who are indigenous to the san juans and Mm -hmm. um that's a completely different relationship with place but i think it has to be possible for us as settlers and people who um you know don't have a i don't have any connection real connection with the land that my ancestors came from um but my connection to the land that i'm on is pretty short also but she talks about living as if you're staying living with two feet on the ground um and not acting as if when you change the place you're in there's another place you're going to be able to go i guess is a lot of what i'm taking away mm-hmm. from her writing about becoming indigenous to place um and so I think that at camp, connecting to the place that is John's Island is an exercise in living as if you're staying and knowing that you're going to come back the next summer or somebody else is going to come back the next summer um, and be affected by the things that you're doing in the moment. Um, Hopefully is something that you can practice in this like tiny contained island land um, where it's can be really easy to see your impact from summer to summer like if you don't clean up your boards from under your uh trunk properly one summer they're going to be nasty and full of worms the next summer um and so that idea of stewardship hopefully once learned in a small environment like john's island can translate and expand outwards to all of the places that we live and we can all live to or learn to live like we're going to stay. You should have seen the look on Allie's face when you mentioned that book. Um, ah. So I, I do want you guys to kind of restate the title and author, and then maybe Allie, I'm going to call you out and just tell the story about how you found that book. Oh yeah, I mean I sound a little bit wackadoo when I tell that story. <laughs> I want to hear it. So the book is called Braiding Sweetgrass, and it's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And um, it's it's kind of a, a I would I would describe it as kind of a, a series of essays. Um, would you agree with that? It's not necessarily a narrative. It kind of is, but um, yeah, but in in essay ish in essay ish form. Um, it's an incredible book. I My copy is full of those little arrow post-its. So over New Year's, little Christmas time, I don't know, I, um, I had a dream that uh, Molly Moe, 
who Molly Montgomery, who uh, worked at camp for a long, long time. Um, she's a family friend. I had a dream that I was like at this party, I think. Anyway, Molly Mo shows <laughs> up and she hands me this book and it's filled with like she had had all of my best camp friends sign it and write messages to me. And it was by an indigenous author. I I woke up and I was like, this is an important book. I have to read this book. And I woke up and I was like, I have no idea what that book is, but I need to find it. And so I just started, and I knew that it was by an indigenous author, and I knew that it was about nature and and kind of, I don't I don't know. But anyway, I woke up and I was like, I gotta find this book, and so I just started googling indigenous author nature book question mark, <laughs> and <laughs> I found braiding sweetgrass and I was like I have to purchase this book so we went to Powell's and bought it immediately upon returning home we were uh on on a trip and so upon returning home I immediately purchased it and I was like this is exactly and within the first chapter I was like this is exactly the book that was in my dream and I can verify all of this I can verify all of this because I remember waking up saying I had this dream and describing that very Thanks. So that's pretty amazing. All right. That is, I think you should write Robin Wall Kimmer to tell her that. She I think she would appreciate it. it. No, she just got a nice book. I think book she plug. would. <laughs> so we're going to play just a little game that we, we play with all our, <laughs> our guests here. So it's, oh, it's exciting. It's just a. Uh, Rapid fire questions. So Allie is going to ask you a question. You just give us the first answer that pops into your head. They're all camp related questions. Wow. You ready to play? I'm nervous. Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) You can't get it wrong. Okay, good. Okay. What is your favorite unit to live in? Troubadour. What is your favorite overnight site? Oh, Rocky Top. Favorite camp meal? Mac and cheese. Duh. Killer Mac. It's got a name. It's got a name. <laughs> um, what is the first camp song that you can think of? Acres of Clams. What is your favorite activity to do with a unit, either as a unit leader or with, as nature? Uh, tide pooling. <laughs> Um, what is your favorite spot on John's? Magic Beach. What is your favorite time of day at camp? Ooh, it is early in the morning when the sun is kind of golden and it's rained and so the madronas are all red and also it smells like high tide. What is your go-to Trader Horn candy slash food? I don't think I ever bought any candy or food from Trader Horn. Impressive. I know. She's a naturalist. <laughs> no processed sugars for I her. only eat grass. <laughs> only grass for Martha. Only grass. Pickled banana slugs, maybe, if they offer. <laughs> Ew. We had a naturalist that that was one of the things that came back was this guy's out there licking banana slugs. I hear it. And getting the, your tongue numb. And getting the campers to do it too. Oh no. 
It's like four banana slugs. Wow. That sounds really questionable. It does. You don't know where those have been. They're decomposers. They're all over some weird stuff. <laughs> Okay, well, that was all of those questions. Um, do you have any other thoughts about nature or living outside that we didn't ask? Ooh, hmm. I don't think so. I just think everybody should have to live outside at some point. I think so, too. Maybe not everybody. That's a little extreme, but I think <laughs> it's really important. Absolutely. Well, we just want to thank you so much for joining us and and playing along and, and answering our questions. We really appreciate your thoughtful insight. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a delight to be asked, and I'm excited to hear the rest of these podcasts. Thanks again so much. Um, we should talk again soon. It's been forever. Yeah, <laughs> it has been a very long time. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was good to talk to you both. Good okay. to talk to you. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. We've finished our nose bag. I'm going to recycle this because that's important. Or you can save it and use it as fire start. Ah, yes. Always thinking, but I'm not going to throw it in the trash. No, because that is bad. Um, so we're wrapping up talking about nature and outdoor living. Thank you to Martha Campbell for sharing some of your thoughts. I'm really glad that we're reading the same book. And I hope that all of you that are listening out there, you know, with camp being closed this summer, that you find opportunities to get outside and to spend some time, even if you're camping in your backyard or getting to go on some hikes and really finding that connection, becoming aware of just looking around and, and, and noticing the geography and the, and the plants and the nature and the sounds of, of what you are and, and appreciating because everything is so diverse and, uh, I think, and, and I think Martha alluded to this, but I think if more people got outside and connected with this, we wouldn't be having some of these discussions about climate change and uh, use of resources. We, we would have a better understanding and a better real connection to where we are. So that's my recommendation. Besides the book, make sure you're spending some time outside this summer. I think if if everybody takes a little bit of time and and sets up an intention even just a couple minutes a day to maybe stand outside, go to a park, backyard, wherever and just be intentionally present and outside it, or maybe take a walk but just setting setting a an intention to be present, you know, part of the how you can keep the camp philosophy with you, even when you're not at camp. 
All right. Until next time. See ya.